Welcome to Finance with Factor. Oops, apparently we're already recording, so here we go. A place you can come to laugh and learn from local experts who love to discuss everything related to the world of real estate. Weird passion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's one that I actually share a little bit, so it makes me a weirdo with you. Uh, each week, we'll cover a unique topic. Let's talk about condos. To help you understand the mortgage industry, navigate the home buying process, and grow your business while maintaining a slice of sanity. Okay, fine. I've been confused by a lot of things over the past few years. Now that he's climbed safely atop his soapbox, here's your host, a senior loan officer with Movement Mortgage, Jason Factor. There's no way. It's tempting, right? When you're self-employed, it's tempting to do it all. Because I feel like there's a certain amount of pride in being able to say, I built this from the ground up. But I don't think there's any shame in saying, I built this from the ground up with the support of these people. I don't think there's also a degree of control, right? I mean, when you're starting out, whether well, at any time, whether you're starting out or you're just self-employed in general, you like the control aspect of this is my business and no one can do it the way I do it. And so I have to touch everything all at once. Yep. Not sustainable. It's not. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Yep. So I'm about this topic, especially because it's something that I have a lot of personal experience with from the last too. year. But it, it's actually one of those things where there is kind of like that happy ending. Like my business is growing leaps and bounds. And I know it's because I brought on help. Yeah. No, say, so it would happen. You can, you can look at the line of demarcation in yep. my growth as a professional. And I've talked to plenty of other people about it as well. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's a perfectly relevant topic. So, you know, we'll kick it off. Um, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again this week. Today, I, I really do want to talk about the concept of being a one-man band. Um, it's, it's not fun, right? We've, we've all seen the start of Mary Poppins when Bert's out there playing every instrument, sweating his face off. Um, eventually, you wear out. And as a self-employed business owner, when you wear out, so does your business. And so that's not a good thing, right? Like, we have to avoid burnout, particularly in challenging markets where you're sprinting every day to try and get business. Most of us get into whatever we do, whether you're a psychologist, a mortgage person, a realtor, a bookkeeper, random example, you do it because, well, you like doing a certain aspect of the job. It doesn't mean you like doing every aspect of the job, um, but there are certain things that you tend to excel at and that you are passionate about. So today, I wanted to pick Larissa Hiller's brain on exactly that. Larissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm really excited about being here to talk about what it's like to be self-employed and trying to do it all on your own. Um, it's hard. It's definitely, it's, it's a struggle. Well, you come at it from a number of perspectives. Um, perhaps you should introduce yourself. Larissa is a, a bookkeeper <laughs> and a small business owner at Compass Points Accounting. Um, so you can introduce yourself and, and maybe we can um, dive into the fact that you do see this from pretty much every perspective when you look at a company's books. But before we do that, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so like, I said, like Jason said, my name is Larissa Hiller. I own Compass Points Accounting Group, uh, which focuses on helping small businesses handle their bookkeeping and accounting needs throughout the year. 
um, when I went into business for myself, um, I've been in business now about four and a half years. Um, and I definitely had that mentality that, okay, I'm going out on my own and I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do everything myself. Um, and that was really challenging for me. It's really difficult to not only focus on the accounting and bookkeeping and the actual, you know, revenue streams of my business while also focusing on all of the other issues that you have to deal with in business, you know, advertising and marketing and administrative work and social media work, all of this stuff. It, it takes time away from, you know, your actual revenue stream. Yeah, and expertise. And it's something I always preach to my clients. You know, bookkeeping is something that every business needs, but most people don't go into business because they're good at bookkeeping. Um, and I would preach that to my clients a lot, but it was a number of years before I started to take my own advice and recognize that I was doing the exact same thing that I was telling clients not to, which was focusing on things that weren't progressing my business. Sure. So what what are some examples of things that you either personally have experienced or that you've seen where um, you see sort of a ramping up and, and like it, that can be kind of the, the thing is, you know, I can speak to my personal experience. You feel like you hit the glass ceiling on your capacity level. There are only so many hours in a day. And so from a bookkeeping perspective, I'd imagine you can actually see that in the numbers sometimes. Absolutely. Um, and, and most apparent in my own personal numbers when I was looking at my own books and trying to figure out where my business was headed. Um, when I started taking a look at kind of the work that's needed to sustain a business, I kind of broke it down into three categories. So there was what we talked about, you know, the work that you got into business to do, the thing that you're good at, the thing that you're passionate about. That's one section of work. And that's the section of work that you should really be owning and focusing most of your time on because that's what you're really good at, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's work that you don't know how to do. And this is actually, I think, really easy to hire out. You know, it's very easy to hire a lawyer to draft a contract because you don't even know where to start on that. Um, you know, it's very easy to hire an architect to design your house because you don't know how to design a house. So those are some of the easy people to hire out. But I think personally that the most valuable work to outsource in your business is the work that you know how to do, but yet you just don't have the time or the capacity to get it done properly. And in this kind of bucket, for me personally, the biggest um, category was administrative work. Um, you know, follow up with clients, organizing of your files, these kinds of things. These are imperative to a business. Um, and I think a lot of people think, well, I can do those things. I know how to answer emails. I know how to file things. I can do those things. But the reality is, is that these are things that take up time and it takes you away from your regular business. Um, so when I hired a virtual assistant, I saw my revenue streams at least double in the first couple of months now those are tasks that maybe you can do but you don't necessarily want to do so i would say you could even subdivide that bucket even further into things like oh i don't know say a podcast um <laughs> but it's things you genuinely enjoy like, i genuinely enjoy doing this podcast i happen to produce it myself i happen to um edit the episodes and take the clips and do all the posts. And I do all that on my own at the moment. 
but I can see why that could be a time suck. And it, it's a passion project. It's something that I enjoy doing. So I do it. Can you speak to that a little bit and some of the tasks that either you yourself or that you consult with your clients about as saying like, hey, I know this is something you genuinely enjoy. Sure, I can take on your bookkeeping. You hate bookkeeping. You're not very good at it. I can, you can delegate that to me and get, you know, X percent of your day back. Do you see it also in tasks that they do enjoy, but maybe don't add monetary value? And how do you help them evaluate those? And that's really the key. What you said is that it's tasks that you enjoy, but it's not creating monetary value for your business. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily be doing those tasks occasionally, but maybe you shouldn't necessarily be doing it all the time. If you're worried about your, you know, if you're worried about your business's income, if you're worried that you don't have enough to cover your current expenses, things of that nature, these are things that we can really evaluate. And the way I always look at it is think about an hour of your time, okay? And what can you do with that hour of your time? And what value can you receive for that hour of your time? So for an hour of my time, I could do bookkeeping tasks for a client. And that would earn a certain amount of revenue. Um, in that time, I could also go out to a networking event and try and meet new clients. That can result in, you know, more revenue streams. But organizing my Google Drive, while something I actually oddly really enjoy because I love organization and I love all of that. No, I'm with you. I know. I actually enjoy being anal retentive with you. But there is no necessarily monetary value. Will it help your business run smoother? Absolutely. And could that over time result in things, but there's no direct correlation right away. No. And it's something that you can do on the couch while watching Netflix. It's not something you need to do at 1 p.m. when you could be prioritizing monetary tasks, like tasks that drive revenue. And you also, you mentioned before, you know, you hit the ceiling on your capabilities and your mm -hmm. capacity and what you're able to do. Well, if we take a look and say, okay, you know, in... In a month, you could potentially bill out, say, 160 hours. But if you're only billing out 20 hours, but you feel that you are at capacity and cannot do any more, that's where we can look at the numbers and look at the books and evaluate there and say, hey, there's, there's a disconnect here, right? You feel like you are working so much, and you are. You are putting out a lot of energy, but it's not resulting in business growth. So we have to look at where your energy is going and where could it go and be more useful for your company. So, I mean, we can go very basic history here and, and discuss the concept of specialization and assembly line and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I spoke with a loan officer, a colleague in our company um, a while back. It was called Volume Shooter. And the idea was that he does a ton of units. Um, like he and I are pretty similar in terms of like we compete with each other in terms of volume dollars, but units, he blows me away. Now he's in a totally different part of the country. So the loan amounts are different. Um, but the reality is I don't think with my model, I could do 300, 400 loans a year, right? Like I'm not, I don't have that capacity in my day. Can you speak to how specialization, again, like from a bookkeeping perspective, you're analyzing this and helping your clients on a monetary level being like, here's where you are spending your time and here is how you can delegate to make more money. Can you speak to examples of how that kind of specialization and delegation 
when you hit the breaking point, when it's time to hire and in those types of concepts? Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of my clients, um, and I know for myself as well, there's kind of this misconception that when you're reaching capabilities, you need to then make the decision to hire an employee, which would either be a part-time or full-time employee. And I think um, when I, you know, tell clients, we take a look at their revenues, we take a look at how they're spending their time, um, you know, it can be very difficult for them to kind of give that piece up and recognize that it's just not really working for them. Um, And when you're, when you're, well, you feel like you're working, you feel like you're working so hard to make that money. It's hard to like, it's gambling, right? You're taking a risk. I can speak to that from a personal example. I work with another colleague, um, her name is Mandy. She's a loan officer on my team. And she and I are one entity from a business perspective, but we have our delegated tasks within the loan process. But I pay Mandy. Like I, right. Out of my production, I pay a certain percentage to Mandy as her salary. Um, and... And so that wasn't an easy decision to sit down and be like, I'm working this hard. I feel, I, I remember, I remember it very specifically. I was sitting in my old house at the kitchen table or at the kitchen island counter. I fell asleep. I woke up and it was a screen of like, just the like gibberish on the email. And I was like, I, I had fallen asleep on the keyboard at like three in the morning trying to do loans. And I was like, I can't do this like this isn't sustainable anymore um and and it was at that point that i was like i need i need to hire someone like it's okay to give up x percent of my annual revenue yes if it frees me up to say like eat dinner with my children more Mm -hmm. often or build a quality of life or get more than two hours of sleep but can you speak to like how that sort of decision is made from a monetary perspective and and how you see that impact, not just in lifestyle, but on the business itself. Yeah, I mean, the monetary impact is pretty extreme. Every time I've seen people bring on help, and what I wanted to I, you know, was going down a path before. Oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But no, 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 not at all, on me. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the things, again, I had this misconception that I needed to hire an employee. However, to get help, that doesn't, that's not always the case. There are freelancers out there in so many different specializations. And I'm talking down to super niche specializations where if you are having struggles with getting your Google voice to work the way that it wants to, you could hire somebody specifically just to fix that. So that's one thing that has helped me massively is recognizing that I could hire somebody and And that's a big part of the monetization thing, too, is that I could hire somebody for less time than I thought I needed to. I thought that the goal was to work so that I had enough work to support a part-time employee on my staff. But again, I'm a one-man show, so that's not really a feasible thing to give up. Like you were saying, you know, you have to give up a portion of your revenue to hire somebody on. So what I found really works well for super small business owners like myself, um, my clients as well, is to outsource that to a lot of, you know, virtual assistants, there are virtual social media coordinators, um, all kinds of people out there. There are freelance um, bookkeepers and accountants and tax preparers, all of those kinds of people. 
And what I try to explain to my clients when they're looking at, oh, I don't know if I could really afford to hire somebody. I say to them something like, what if you could find somebody to do some admin work for you for say $40 an hour, three hours a week? That's $120 a week. What could you, what could that person accomplish in those three hours for you? And what would those three hours translate into you being able to earn money for your business? So look at it in that standpoint. If you think in three hours you could earn X amount of dollars, you just have to look at what portion of that you're able to give up. Remembering that by giving up that portion, your revenue is likely going to increase. Because and so have like that's, so like there are certain businesses where this is a more difficult calculation, Absolutely. right? My last podcast, I did a podcast with Lee. Lee is the owner of Moses Fitness. The concept is very binary, right? If right. he wants to bring on a, another trainer, well, if that trainer brings in this many clients, that client, that trainer makes money. If he himself hires someone to do the office administrative work, and that's the three-hour block you were talking about, well, that's three new sessions that he can lead. How much revenue is that with even one person per session? And does that more than pay for that, you know, temp admin? Sure. And there are other vehicles too, right? Like you can have high school interns or college interns, co-op programs. So depending on the scale and type of your business, I'm sure there are lots of vehicles to help you kind of implement this type of specialization. Absolutely. And one of the best things that I found is actually to work with other small business owners that are very similar to myself. Um, I have multiple clients where, you know, I provide bookkeeping services to them for whatever my fee is, and I also hire them for other services, for their admin services or for their coaching services or for those things. And so it's a way Wait, to... We fall into a barter economy now? <laughs> bartering. So here's the thing. This is the thing that makes it work is that it's not bartering. We are no, paying each other for the services, but... We've been able to form great client yeah. relationships with these people because we see the value in them and they see the value in, in us. You know, it's definitely that, that kind of symbiotic relationship that's really, really beneficial. And again, I think for many people going into business, they think they have to do it all on their own. And some of the best resources I've found are other business owners. And if, if that sounds insane, I mean, honestly, any small business owner has their own network. So if you're a realtor out there, think of it as your referral network. It's not much different. Like if you hire a curator to do some of your marketing, or if you have someone who specializes in, in Canva, Canva, and they're going to do your design work for your pieces, that then just takes hours, days out of your week that you can then go out and show more homes or whatever that might be, or, or go to more marketing events and make more connections. And then those people are just more tools in your toolbox that you can now use as networking partners. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing to keep in mind too, is that when you're hiring out these people, I think there's a misconception that say I was doing all of my own follow-up for my clients mm -hmm. and say that for me, that took me five hours a month. Well, it's also not something that I'm necessarily quick at. I'm quick at accounting. I'm quick at bookkeeping. I'm good at those things. That's where my skill set really comes in. So when I started hiring people out, I was realizing that I was budgeting for what I, the very amount of time that I was going to take to do a task. Every single time they could do it in less time. So 
what is your advice for someone who is hearing this and being like, ooh, they might be talking about me? Um, like, what are some of the things that you personally did? Did you sit down and chart your time? Uh, like a daily task? Like, did you keep an agenda and sort of, you know, like the like on your phone where it tells you how much time you're spending on each app? Um, did you kind of so, do that throughout the week? For me, where it actually started was looking at my business numbers. You know, I, I had, I'd been in business about for three years at that point. I looked at my three years of business and started looking at trends in where my income and expenses were going and realizing that what I was doing was not sustainable. And I had to figure out something to make it sustainable. So my actual first outlet was coaching. Um, I found a business coach who really helped me to ask the hard questions about my business and what I wanted it to be like, what I didn't want it to be like, and what it was going to take to get my business to a place that I was going to be really happy with it. And in part of that evaluation, we determined that hiring out help was going to be a huge part because like a lot of small business owners, I went into business and just thought I had to do it all on my own. And that asking for help was somehow a sign of weakness. You know, if I couldn't do it all, then maybe I just couldn't hack it. Um, that is because Lyra said nobody is as good at you at all of those <laughs> things and they can't possibly. But like that's that's right. where it comes from, right? That's the mindset of a one exactly. band is like this is mine and I can't give up that control. Did you struggle with giving up that control at all? On Initially, staff? yes. Initially, it was very... What got you over it? Working with great people, quite honestly, is I was able to find a virtual assistant that really, we sat down and really evaluated the whole business um, as a team. That was a yep. big thing too, because I knew yep. that if I went in trying to control the whole thing, it wasn't going to work out. Well, I was going to find myself in the same situation again. I can echo that. I've seen it with realtors. I've seen it in my own office. I've seen it with my own personal experience. I happened to make the perfect marriage the very first time, right? Like Mandy and I are, in my opinion, I guess I should ask her, but (laughs) all our great team. No, I think she feels the same way because we talk enough about it every week. But, um, but like we make a very good team and I genuinely enjoy working with her and I hope it's, it's vice versa, but I've also seen it where people hire, you know, a, a realtor hires a marketing assistant or a transaction coordinator or someone like that. And it's not worth it, right? You end up spending more time training the person or more time babysitting the person, or you're too anxious about how well they're doing that it becomes le- less of a value add and more of a time suck. And how do you how do you analyze that from a numbers perspective with your clients to make sure that they are hiring the right people? And when is it time to cut bait? So for me, it's this is going to sound odd coming from a bookkeeper. I actually don't look at that from a monetary standpoint, not in the way, okay. not not in the detailed way that you're thinking about it. What I say to people is, you need somebody that you're going to trust. And the reason I the reason I, I, I have this kind of opinion about it is because this is how I've interacted with my own clients and recognizing that as a bookkeeper and accountant, I'm asking a lot of my clients. I'm asking them to be very vulnerable with me. You know, when you reveal all of your finances, that's a very vulnerable position to be in and it can be very intimidating for people. So what I am showing people is, hey, you can trust me. I've been there. I've been where you are. I have, you know, seen my revenues gone down and tried to figure out, you know, I think it's kind of like that personal connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to build that level of trust because it was only when I was able to build that level of trust 
with my virtual assistant that I was able to let go of a lot of those tasks that I wanted to have control over. And it was at that point that I started to see the monetary shift. That's Sometimes it's really, really difficult to, to approach things monetarily with a client because you're telling them about future potential revenues that they can't see. It's not tangible. Um, but like I said, a lot of it, it's trust. It's finding someone that you can work really well with. Like you said, you got really lucky, you know, your first time around with Mandy, um, you have somebody that is fantastic. I have a virtual assistant. Her name is Shawnee. She's amazing. And I got lucky too. Um, but a lot of that was, I invested time in it. And that's the other thing was that you talk about, you know, oh, you're going to waste so much time and money training somebody. I don't look at time and money spent on training as a waste. No, it's invested. It's I've had this conversation with people in the office as well in terms of being like, and, and some of this is business strategy. Some of this is where you're at in your business and what you need and being self-aware enough to make the right decisions. But I think your shift of mindset from like moving it from a purely monetary decision to now for some people, hiring is a purely monetary decision, but for others, it's a purely lifestyle decision for others. It's a growth opportunity. Um, and that can be in any kind of fashion. And so like hiring the right person for the right specialization at the right price, I guess. Yeah. It, it matters. Absolutely. Because I mean, when my, my mindset, when, you know, looking at hiring help or, you know, getting some support is I'm looking for long-term strategies. I'm not looking for that person that is only going to be with me for six months. And so I viewed it as, well, if I want that person to invest in me and my company with their time and their skill set, I need to invest my time and training and, you know, kind of my outlook of how I want to run my business into them so that we're on the same page. So I really viewed it that way as that this was going to be a long-term relationship and we were going to work together. Um, well, and eventually it becomes intertwined enough that like any marriage... If the other person leaves, you don't even know how to do things anymore. Right. No, not maybe not to that extreme, but like, like those, those relationships, you do become codependent. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually just talking to someone the other day. I think it was it was one of my friends, but I was like, I can't even fathom my mom without my dad or my dad without my mom. Like, even as kids, like we just went like if someone was like, oh, I have to go to the grocery store. All five of us piled in the car and we went to the grocery store. Like, they don't do anything apart. Um, and now in retirement, it's even worse. Like, they're like, sharing shoes. Um, but, but, like, from a work relationship standpoint, that's what you're going for, right? Like, everyone's sort of in the same footprints um, within their own specialization. Right. Um, where from, so, like, if someone is feeling this way, what are some of the things that they can do to analyze their business and decide that it's time beyond just the feeling? Like what are some of the ways they can get in the numbers? Cause that's where you specialize. Yeah. So, so one thing that you did mention, which does work for a lot of people is keep a journal, keep a journal of, of an average week of work for you and what that looks like. Write down what you're doing for every hour that you're spending on your business and then add it up and see how much money was or how much revenue was created based on those hours that you spent and then you can start really looking at it going okay well i you know i spent 10 hours on actual billable work but i spent 30 hours doing all of these other random tasks that didn't 
results in anything or it's not even, you know, okay, yeah. I have a plan that eventually it will result in revenue. No, there's nothing like that. You're just kind of, and I think that's the biggest thing too, um, is that you're kind of spinning your wheels because you don't even know what's going on. Well, and then, and then bisecting that again into proactive versus reactive, right? So when I spoke with Travis about some of his stuff, like what he really looked at was like, I, if I want to generate more volume, more units, I need to be more proactive. And so like he bisected his business into like, okay, what are some of the reactive tasks that I can pass off to, to someone else on my team, whether that's marketing or some of those other things so that I can focus on the proactive side of my business, which is going to eventually generate income for me and the rest of my team. Well, one of, uh, I'll give an example of what, you know, um, Shanice and I did in, in my business was we created a, uh, client onboarding, you know, standard operating procedure. There is a process now when a client reaches out and we are going to reactively, you know, respond to that client. There's an entire system and there's an entire list of exactly what needs to happen once that first contact is made. So you were talking about, you know, giving up the control and not knowing how to do things of your business. That's one thing. I know how to do the things in my business, but I have somebody else that's helping me do them. I love how inorattentively you just described that entire process. <laughs> I love it. Um, if there... Again, in order for me to be successful at my business, I had to have these very, very clear ways of how we were going to handle each client coming in so that then now I spend a lot more of my time proactively seeking out spaces where potential clients would be or people that I could help. You know, I can proactively go and network. You know, I can reach out to people. It frees up more of my time to get the clients because I have somebody that knows how to onboard them into our system. You mean that after six to eight months of chasing you to be on this podcast, you have the time to do it? Exactly. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? And I'd imagine that that also means you have the opportunity now to chase some business and do stuff like this. So if people are hearing this and they do want to follow up with Larissa of Compass Points Account Counting, how can they reach out to you? What is the best way for them to reach you? Um, maybe they have questions. Maybe they don't like doing their books because who does? Um, no offense to you, but that is a strange thing to be passionate about. I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to own that. I'm going to own my weirdness in that. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> um, what, is, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? Uh, so the best way to reach out to me is you can either email me at larissa at compasspointsaccounting.com. Um, I also have a website, compasspointsaccounting.com. Um, and in, in one of the things of growing my business, I am currently working on a relaunch of my website and social medias um, that should be taking place hopefully within the next couple months. We're working on it. Um, very excited about that. But for the meantime, um, you can still reach me on my website as well. There's an um, intake form there. And I'll be sure to tag you in this and, and make sure that people know how to get a hold of you as well uh, when this goes live. So thank you for making the time to do this. I always enjoy catching up with you. Um, I have referred clients to Larissa in the past. She always gets wonderful reviews. Um, we have networked together and shared some <laughs> mutual clients as well. And again, they, Larissa does get wonderful reviews from her clients and, and they all swear by her services, that, at least that I've seen. So um, with that said, thank you for making time to do this. I know you have a busy schedule, but I deeply appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Finance with Factor. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Then if you really like us, open another podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever else you enjoy podcasts. Search Finance with Factor and do it again. The more places you like, share, and follow helps our ratings. But that can be our little secret. Have a question about today's episode or an idea for an upcoming episode? Post a comment. For more content, follow Jason Factor on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Finance with Factor. All content discussed on Finance with Factor is self-published by Jason Factor, Senior Loan Officer, NMLS number 1401985. All rates, guidelines, and advice shared on this episode is subject to change. To contact Jason directly or for a full set of disclosures, visit his website at jasonfactor.com.